Friends, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Uh, last week, we finished a three-week meditation in Psalm 1. Uh, and with two more Sundays before my sabbatical, I wanted to preach something uh, both that I could start and finish in two weeks, uh, but also something that is um, relevant and necessary for our church uh, it seems that the Lord has us collectively and many of us individually in seasons uh, where the comfort of God's word and the comfort that comes from the Lord is necessary. And there's really no greater place to receive this than the book of Psalms. And that's what the book of Psalms are for us. And they're really helpful and they're encouraging and they assure us because the Psalms seek to answer a question that we have long forgotten to ask, a question we no longer ask, which is, who is God? I say that because we live in an age of such incredible self-focus and self-infatuation um, that the Psalms speak a different language altogether. They speak the language of God-centeredness because they gently remind us that we are needy, we are helpless, but God is big and strong and he is good and kind and he is compassionate and loving. Um, so we're going to focus on Psalm 121 the next two weeks. Um, and if this Psalm is something you need, I encourage you to cling to it and meditate on it. But there may be some of you that life is going pretty good and the words of Psalm 121 don't really speak to you. I want to encourage you to take these words, to receive them and keep them in the storehouse of your heart because there will be a time when Psalm 121 will be the very balm your soul needs. So let's give our attention now to God's word. If you're able, please stand with me. Standing is an act of worship. It's a sign of reverence as we read and receive his word. Psalm 121, reading verses 1 and 2 only. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. And pray with me once more. Father in heaven, um, the grass withers, the flower falls. Sometimes it feels like the ground beneath us cracks open and the skies above us are torn apart. But the truth is the word of the Lord remains forever. With your unchanging word that testifies to your unchanging character, speak to us in all of our changing circumstances, changing emotions, changing life situations. And speak to us by your Holy Spirit that we might receive what you desire for us to have, to hold to, to cling to, to chew on, to meditate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You probably noticed that at the very beginning of our reading today, we started with a subscript. Uh, it says, A Song of Ascents. Now, some of you may have a physical Bible, and you'll notice in that Bible that not only the Psalm 121 start that way, but the one Psalm before, Psalm 120, and the 13 Psalms after, Psalm 122 to 135, all actually have that same little description, a song of ascents. And what's happening here is that the editor of the Psalter has taken 15 Psalms, 15 hymns, 15 prayers that Israel would sing and pray as they headed to Jerusalem, and he has combine them together to be a sort of songbook for us. You see, 
Israel, if you didn't know, was literally elevated. It was a city on a hill. And so in order to reach the temple, to reach the city for the God-appointed feast, the annual feast every year, you needed to literally ascend up a hill to get to Jerusalem. Now, for those who needed to travel quite far, who didn't live in Jerusalem, it was a long journey. It was really uncomfortable. I mean, you were traveling uh, by walking, uh, loading yourself on donkeys and camels and such. And so you would track the long journey all the way up to the city on a hill, Jerusalem. But as you got close to the city and you began to ascend the hills, you'd be met with steep and winding roads that were really dangerous. It could be quite dangerous because bandits sometimes would hide in the caves around the corners and they would wait for the passerbys to come so that they would rob them and beat them and sometimes even kill them. Uh, this is corroborated for us. Remember the very well-known parable of Jesus in Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you remember that, Jesus starts off this parable in Luke 10 like this. He tells a story and says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And that makes sense. If Jerusalem was on a hill and he's leaving Jerusalem, he's going down the hill. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And sometimes what would happen on this road Highway robbers attacked him and they stole from him and they left him for dead. And so even thousands of years later, Jesus' parable confirms the truth that going to Jerusalem, ascending the hills was a dangerous and scary thing. You never knew what awaited you in the hills. So the psalmist begins in verse one in this way, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? You see, as he is walking to Jerusalem on the annual appointed feast day, he sees the hills and he begins to get anxious. His fears begin to increase. All the what ifs and all the uncertainties of what lay ahead of him begins to fill his heart and his mind. It's a dangerous path. It's an uncertain one. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? The only reason that an Israelite who didn't live in Jerusalem was headed to Jerusalem was because God told them to. They were obeying God. They were going on the annually appointed feast to go to the temple, to make sacrifices, to honor the Lord. You just think about that for a second then. Because it means at least that sometimes faithfully following and obeying God puts you on a path that's hard and uncomfortable, frightening, and quite frankly, one that you wish you weren't on. Sometimes the road the Lord calls us to walk is as we sang in the Song of Approach, a road marked with suffering. Of course, we don't want those roads. We want to be on easy lane or comfortable street and stress-free, problem-free boulevard. But to follow, honor, and obey God, sometimes the road needs to be marked with suffering, and it is. And I just bring that up because I wonder if that surprises some of you today. I wonder if that turns any of you off to what you thought Christianity was. It's a hard pill to swallow, but the truth is that a life of dedication and devotion to God doesn't guarantee that you'll be freed from any threat or danger or discomfort in life. That's important to accept because it means the key to the Christian life isn't about learning how to avoid suffering. The key to the Christian life and the purpose of the Bible is not to give you a map of how to avoid the detours, the obstacles. The key to the Christian life is about discovering, verse 2, 
My help comes from the Lord. Now let me ask you a question this morning. When in great times of need, from where does your help come? From where does your help come? Do you know? Do you have a sense of assurance or are you left scrambling for it? You see, whether you're a believer or not this morning, whether you consider yourself religious or spiritual or totally secular and an atheist, it doesn't matter. The true reality is that all of us face things in life that are too hard to deal with alone, too overwhelming to face by ourselves. There will be things that come our way that will be surprising and devastating and threatening, and you'll quickly discover that you are powerless and helpless against it. So what happens? Where do you look to for your help? The answer is we all need an answer. We all need a person to turn to. We need a place to go. We need a truth to cling to. You know, some of you are searching this morning for that answer. Some of you have trusted in something and it's been taken away and you've realized that it wasn't ever enough. Some of you have come under a disillusionment that the things that you once looked to no longer are enough. Psalm 121 has good news for us this morning. The Lord can be your help. The psalmist says in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, I don't know all the unique circumstances of your lives. I'm not familiar with the hurt you're carrying around with you, the worries and types of questions that are filling your heart. I'm not aware of the dire needs that plague you and your family, the desperation that leads you to tears in the quiet place, the weaknesses you feel and experience in your body, the utter dissatisfaction and unhappiness from being unfulfilled in life. I don't know the sicknesses that are wreaking havoc on you and your family. For the most part, I can't see beyond your Sunday smiles and all of your put-together demeanor that you choose to adorn as you walk into these doors. I can only see what you have shown me, and others can only see what you show them. But deep inside, if you're going through something this morning, if you've come through these doors, something hard on your heart, it doesn't matter what you've locked away. It doesn't matter what you've pre-decided to share with others or what to keep hidden. The Lord knows. And the Lord sees. And the Lord wants to be your help. So we return to verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now, I already hinted what I think this means. I'm not sure what you envision in this, but it could be one of two things. The psalmist could be traveling on the annual feast to Jerusalem, and he can either be looking to the hills as a sign of hope. Oh, the hills represent where Jerusalem is. It's the temple. It's where God's presence is. And so maybe he's headed toward Jerusalem. He looks to the hills and he's filled with great courage. Or the hills symbolize the danger of all the unknowns that lay ahead of him. All the unknowns and uncertainties and questions and what ifs of what are right ahead. I think it's more appropriate in the context to understand the hills as the source of fear and doubt and worry. I think the hills are what loom large over the psalmist 
and what strike fear into his heart. I think the hills represent all that's daunting and difficult. And the reason is because of the, the logic of it. If you just follow along, the psalmist is traveling. He's journeying. He lifts his eyes to the hills. He knows he's near, but all of a sudden he begins to, to, to feel afraid. He's anxious. Despair settles into his heart. He sees the hills. And so then he naturally asks in verse one, from where does my help come? All right, the psalmist begins talking with himself. He's preaching to himself because he sees the hills. He's struck with fear from where does my help come? And then he answers his own question, verse two. And he says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The hills are a source of what's scary and unknown. And the reality is there are times when we're walking the path God has set for us, doing the things that God has called us to do when we're confronted with an issue, an obstacle, a hill, the stands before us, a problem we're facing, a situation we can't get ourselves out of. And what you see before you, it fills your heart. It makes you look around and go, from where is my help coming? And perhaps it's your job, which was once secure, but now in this new year and new economy, it doesn't feel that way anymore. There have been massive layoffs at your place of work, and you don't know if you're on the chopping block or not. Maybe you've fallen sick or a loved one that you care deeply for is suffering under constant and chronic illness. And so on top of all the fears of injury and illness, you're now wrestling with how am I going to pay for the medication and all the hospital treatments and all the visits and appointments I have. Maybe some of you have a really important decision to make and you feel like you're on a time deadline. You need to make the decision, but you feel paralyzed because you're scared if you make the wrong one, it'll lead to irreversible consequences. All of us have hills before us. They drive us to ask the question of verse one, from where does my help come? Now the psalmist has an answer. It's resolutely, my help comes from the Lord. But notice this, notice how he describes the Lord in verse two. From where does my help come? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, why does the psalmist go there? Why does his faith take him there? And it's because as he's terrified and paralyzed by the fear of the hills, he remembers the Lord God is the creator God. This is the God of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, the psalmist is reminding himself of the truth that God is powerful and sovereign over all creation because he is the creator. God is sovereign and powerful even over the hills that threaten to undo him. And practically, what does that mean if you were to learn how to do this? Let's say you're worried about your job and financial security, but you remember your help comes from the one who gave you the job and the ones before it. And he's powerful and sovereign to line up another for you. You're dealing with injury or sickness. You are afraid of your own declining health or that of your parents. And you're afraid, but you must remember the one from whom your help comes. He formed and knitted you in your mother's womb. He is powerful and sovereign to heal you. And even if he chooses not to heal now, he promises a resurrection from the dead on the final day. You're afraid of what the future holds. You have decisions to make. You're fretting over it. 
But you need to remember your help comes from the one who holds your past, your present, and your future in his hands. He is powerful and sovereign to lead every one of your steps, even your missteps, into his gloriously good purposes. You see, friends, when life is too much, when you look to the hills and you don't know how you'll get through them, turn to your help, the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now I want to shift your attention and get you to notice the word the psalmist used. He could say God is my refuge, my shelter, my strong tower, my rear guard, my rock, my fortress. He does in various parts of the Psalms, but here he chooses to describe God as his help. His help. Azer is the Hebrew word. Help, support, aid. But I don't think we understand help the way we should. Because help often to us feels like God comes up alongside of us and adds to the strength we already provide. Maybe that's how you think about it. I'm lifting something and I ask God for help and he comes along and he helps shoulder the burden. But the point is this, God doesn't merely supplement your strength. He supplies you his strength. Think about that. God doesn't merely supplement your strength but he supplies you his very strength. When you confess that God is your help, you don't imagine him coming alongside to assist you. To confess God is your help is to confess your inability and your weakness, your helplessness, so that you might learn to cling wholly on him and him alone. Have you ever injured your knee or your foot or your ankle? If you have, then you've probably used crutches to get around for some time. And what do crutches do? Crutches help you walk. They provide support by taking some of the weight off of your legs. Some of you in here, when you say God is my help, you view him like a divine crutch. He supports and he supplements. But when you understand the true state of your condition, when you're confronted with the reality that I really am not as strong as I thought I was, that I don't have it all together, that I am helpless and weak, when you realize that you're not just injured, you realize God is not just a pair of crutches. Dear friends, you're not injured and you don't need crutches. You are paralyzed and you need a wheelchair. God's help doesn't assist you to get from here to there. God's help is the only way that you can get anywhere. That's what it means to say, God is my help. He doesn't supplement your strength. He supplies you his strength. And this is the kind of desperation that we need to have as we confess God is our help. And the reality is it, it, it bruises the ego, but it saves the soul. Now, let me direct your attention again to another small detail because twice the psalmist says this, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. My help, it's a possessive word. It's a word of intimacy and familiarity. It's the language of covenant and the language of testimony. Just as God's people can say he is my God, you can say that he is my help. Because the help that God offers is not general, but it's specific and personal. General help is the help that as you're driving down 276 and you see a billboard and it says, you know, are you stuck? Do you need towing? Call this number. That's a general offer of help. If you get stuck, blow out a tire, you call that number, 
They'll send a stranger and fix it for a price. God's not that kind of help. God's the kind of help that you pull out your phone and then he's the first contact on your speed dial. And he comes and he knows you by name, dropping everything to save you. The Psalms are full of this kind of covenantal language. And this needs to be the language that you adopt because the language of the Psalms is meant to be your language. The Psalms are given to provide you the vocabulary that you didn't have when you were an orphan and a slave to sin. It provides you the vocabulary you have now as an adopted son and daughter in his family. And so the Psalms are full of the my help language, the help you need to receive. Psalm 22, verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Psalm 40, verse 17, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of, for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Do not delay, O my God. Psalm 54, verse 4, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Psalm 118, 7, the Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Friends, the question all of you need to wrestle with and deal with and chew on this morning is this. Is God my help or is God the help? Is he my help or is he the help? I bring this question up because for some of you in this room, you only know God as the help. It's a general truth you know about God. So you encourage people, oh, go to God for help. You counsel people, you should go to God for help. You tell others to go to God for help. In fact, you may self even go to God and ask him to help others. But you don't go to God for help. You continue to rely on your own strength, your own wisdom, your own plans. You'll take your own chances. Others of you have this notion that God helps those who help themselves. And so you think, before I go to God, I need to put all my ducks in order. And you think it's wise that you should exhaust all your own resources first. And then only when you're out of options should you go to him. And you think this honors him, dear friends, but it insults him. God isn't impressed that you came to him as your last resort. God isn't flattered that you thought of him and how busy he was holding the world together that you didn't want to bother him until you absolutely needed to. God isn't like this because God delights to be the help of the helpless. God doesn't help those who help themselves. That's a lie of the self-sufficient and the self-righteous. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who realize they cannot help themselves. The good news of Psalm 121 is that God helps those who turn to him, who lift up their eyes to see the one who made heaven and earth. That's the good news that Psalm 121 is offering. But I have better news to offer you, friends. Because Psalm 121 was given to the Israelites in a psalm that we can pick up. But here we stand on the other side of the cross, and so when we receive Psalm 121, we receive the psalm as fulfilled in Jesus. And that makes a difference. When the psalmist saw the hills, they represented danger and threat. They meant exposure and vulnerability. But all of that changed one day. When the one who made heaven and earth came down from heaven to earth. All of that changed one day. When God took on human flesh and came to us in the person of Jesus, why did he come for us? 
Jesus came to be our great help. He came to deliver us from the harm of the hills, toils and sorrows, troubles and suffering, temptation and sin. Jesus came to remove the harm of life's hills so you could receive the help that comes down now from it. What do I mean? The hills threaten the psalmist. They threaten you and me. But Jesus, in great compassion, came to this earth, took up a cross, and he began to march up a hill. He began to ascend the hill of Calvary. And what awaited him at the top was the danger meant for you and for me. Because there on that hill that strikes fear into our hearts, Jesus met a criminal's death, divine wrath, holy anger, just punishment, a sinner's condemnation. And there on the hill, he took all that was meant for you and for me upon himself. He absorbed it and satisfied it in his crucified body. He drank the hill dry of its harm so that mercy might flow down from it. Dear friends, if you look to Jesus, he takes the sting of the hill and instead offers divine help and rescue and salvation. From where does my help come? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, the one who came from heaven to earth to save. If you believe in this gospel, it actually begins to give you the freedom to admit, finally, it's safe to admit, okay, I need some help. I am needy, I am insufficient and inadequate. Because it also again gives us the insurance that God is your mighty help. And the author of Hebrews describes what this help looks like. In chapter 13, verses five and six, when he quotes God saying, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? As I begin to close, I'm reminded of the scene from a movie. It's been over 20 years since Tolkien's The Two Towers was released, but it's one of my all-time favorite scenes of any movie, and so I need to reopen that vault. If you remember the movie, if you read the book, the book doesn't quite have the scene in it, but in the movie, the great wizard Gandalf needs to leave his company of travelers. Uh, they're headed to Helm's Deep, but all of a sudden he needs to depart. And as he leaves, he turns to Aragorn and he says, Look to my coming on the first light of the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. And those words begin to ring in his head. Now, what Gandalf says here is a promise and a command. He fast forward to the end of the movie. Aragorn and his companions are held up at Helm's Deep, where the enemies have completely surrounded the fortified gorge. They are outnumbered. All hope is lost. Defeat is imminent. But as day breaks, Aragorn remembers the words of Gandalf. He remembers the promise and the command. And so they open 
the doors of Helm's Gate. And he and his company ride out in horses to confront the enemy, and he looks to the east. And up on the hill is a sole figure, gloriously and radiantly, brilliantly shining. There stands Gandalf, who has brought help for the day. And I share that because it's a wonderful picture of the help that comes from the hills. It gives a glimpse of the way in which Psalm 21 is both a promise and a command. It's a promise. The ultimate help has come in Jesus, who stands as the sole figure on top of Calvary's hill in his glorious triumph over all life's evils. He's drained the harm of the hills dry so that he might pour down from its side his help. Psalm 121 is also a command then, because it calls you to lift your eyes above the hills and unto Christ the Savior, the founder and perfecter of your faith. He is your refuge. He is your strength. He is the very present help in times of trouble. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we admit and we confess there are many times that we find ourselves overwhelmed in the various things of life. The details change from person to person, from life to life, from experience to experience. But the feeling of being utterly lost and in great need, that we share. And into that and for that, you sent us your one and only son to be the great help that we need. Help our eyes not look far, not look far off from Christ Jesus, our Lord, but to be set firmly on him. Oh Lord, the hills loom large over us, but our help comes from the one who stands sovereign over the hills. Our eyes are fixed upon Jesus. Help us to look to him and lift our eyes to no other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.